On this episode, you're going to learn about the mechanics of a successful subscription commerce business from a CEO of a fast growth digital native consumer brand in the super niche human grade pet food category that's doing multiple seven figures in just two years of business. Do stay tuned. Well, well, welcome to 2X e-commerce, the e-commerce marketing growth podcast where you ask questions and I, Kune, answers them. Also hear from proven marketing growth experts who are number one or number two in specialist areas of online retail marketing. So if you work in or own an online retail business, listen in, get involved, join me and let's put some fuel to skyrocket your e-commerce growth. So the inbound marketing strategies, how do you beat Amazon? Natural search and our search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. I personally would not have an account process interrupt checkout flow at all. My favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your average order value times that purchase frequency times uh, your customer lifespan. I'm Kune Campbell. Let's get rolling. If you're looking to grow your business, there's only one way by building real quality customer relationships. Most marketing software will claim they can do this, but will never deliver on their promises. You need to demand more from your marketing software. And that's where Clavio comes in. Clavio helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers, allowing you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. That is why 10,000 innovative brands have switched to Clavio. What's the secret to building customer relationships? Tune in to Clavio's Beyond Black Friday docuseries to find out and unlock marketing strategies you can use to keep momentum going year round. Just head over to clavio.com forward slash beyond BF for more. That's clavio.com forward slash beyond BF.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kune Campbell, and this is the e-commerce podcast show dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. If you get to, to drive in metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic on automated sales, you're in the right place um, because this show is geared to helping ambitious online retailers like you scale you know, your businesses by 2X, 3X, and even 10X. On today's show, I have we're going to be talking about something really special. Um, a lot of you reached out to me via Twitter, and um, you're you're asking me about you know how do we figure out subscription e-commerce businesses? You know, I you know back in um, 2017, we we did you know invite a few subscription e-commerce businesses, and you know people are wondering if you know the landscape is still you know um you know enticing for for, for such um you know for, for the business model you know if, if it's if it's really really built out so i have a few shows lined up for you um today being a very special one it's um it's around a brand called pet plate they're based out in new york um the ceo is on the line with me she's gertrude allen um she has a prolific um you know background um She's she's worked in um, fast moving consumer you know products. She's got experience in in VC, 
experience in um in the food industry um and um she's she's gotten into to this she, she's here to share you know um their direct to consumer subscription you know story really on on how they're growing pet plates and you know the what's it how to actually manage marketing you know because it's a slightly different you know beast to your traditional e-commerce as uh, many of you are, uh, are used to um I'm not going to say too much, but without further ado, I'd like to welcome Gertrude to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Quinley, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Fantastic. I've probably not done enough justice, you know, in, in the intro to, to you. Could you take a minute or, or a little bit more to, you know, um, to, to introduce yourself and then, you know, um, pet plate? Oh, yes, it's my pleasure. Um, hello, everybody. My career actually started um, in New York City. I, I graduated from NYU in the late 80s, and I started working in PR and communications, um, but quickly jumped over to Europe. Um, A couple of years out of college, I moved to Germany, and I worked for a large German advertising marketing agency, um, which was really exciting. We did some great international work together. And then I moved over to Gray, Europe, um, and I headed up there. Gray Communications International, um, I was heading up all the marketing and development of that international agency. Um, but that brought me back to the U.S. where, where I'm, I'm from. And I worked for Hill & Knowlton, uh, which is part of WPP. And I was a senior managing director in their marketing communications practice, um, which was wonderful. I really got to um, work with a great group of people there. Um, but after a decade working on the agency side of marketing, I really wanted to work directly with is small to medium-sized businesses and have a greater impact on the bottom line. And so I actually found myself back in Europe. I moved to the UK to work with a, um, it was the dot-com era, and I worked for a company called Global Name Registry, um, which was in the domain space. The domain space, the internet domain space was really booming at that time. And we did some great work there. It was a company backed by the Carlisle Group. And that's really when I started to get exposure to how venture back businesses operate and um, what that dance is between consumer goods and services and and, and the investment community. Um, and after a couple of years of, of doing that, I was ready to return back to the U.S. one more time, yet again, um, wanted to be closer to my family. And I started working with a company called Tasty Delight, um, which is an interesting brand because it had such a cult following uh, back in the 90s and, and the 2000 decade. Um, it's a chain of frozen dessert parlors. And I helped expand that business. I worked closely with it under for a number of years and we grew the business quite a lot and we were able to sell it to um, a lead private equity investor, Tom Lee, and um, a company called SPG, Snow, Phipps, and, and Guggenheim. Um, and it was a successful sale. And the process of helping the founder of that company sell her business, which was already about 15 years old at the time, um, really educated me um, as to what a company kind of needs to be thinking about as it grows, if it is looking for an exit. Um, and so from there, I actually started working directly with VCs, um, mostly European-based VCs that were looking to do more business in the U.S. Um, so a fund that was based in, in Switzerland, another fund that was based in Belgium. And what that allowed me to do is really look at all the different deal flow that was going on in the U.S. Um, by this time, it was like 2010, and you know, there was a lot of activity in the startup community, especially in food and beverage. And of course, the businesses were starting to move online. And the more 
you know, I started to look, the more I saw the opportunity for direct-to-consumer brands to be able to grow without the resistance and the friction that often comes with um, selling your product at, at you know, at the store level. Um, and so I eventually wound up working directly with a fund um, based in Toronto, but I was working um, for them in their in their New York office. It's a fund called Brand Project. Mm-hmm. And Brand Project um, is an early stage consumer venture fund um, that in the last few years has only invested in subscription commerce businesses um, in the wellness field. So food, beverage that is better for you, whether it be for, you know, families or pets and also personal care and, and you know, um, supplements and products that um, keep you healthy. And they just, Brand Project really quite, you know, cracked the code on how to grow those businesses really, really quickly. And I learned a lot there. And in the process of working um, on the fun side, I got exposure to one of the first deals that we did when I joined Brand Project, um, which is this company called Pet Plate. And, um, you know, as an investor in the, in the business, I was working very closely with the founder of Pet Plate, um, a gentleman named Ronaldo Webb, who had a remarkable story as to why he decided to start a human grade dog food company. Um, it was a very personal story and one that we felt very strongly about as investors. Um, but essentially, Ronaldo had discovered through his work as a consultant in the pet food industry just how bad the mainstream food was for the the, the dogs, um, you know, and cats that were eating, um, you know, this kind of kibble. And it just really was unhealthy. And he just decided it wasn't something he ever wanted to feed his own pet. Um, And so when he got his dog, Winston, he just decided the only option available to him was to start home cooking for the dog. And um, Ronaldo has a a very scientific background. He has a degree in physics from MIT. And he knew instinctually that he couldn't just feed his dog the same type of food he ate. It needed to be formulated for a dog's diet. And so he consulted with a vet nutritionist um, with Dr. Renee Streeter out of Cornell and found out how to balance the, the ingredients and, and the supplementation so that the dog would be getting the, the, a complete and balanced diet. And he found great success with his own dog. And then as his friends and family started to tap him for the recipe and, and you know, sometimes he would share the food he was cooking, they realized that the health benefits were just enormous. And so it was so, such a compelling opportunity that he left a very good job at um, El Caterton Growth and, uh, jo- and and launched Pepley. Um, he did a test market in, in 16, um, and that's when Brand Project, at the end of the year, we made um, uh, an investment in the company. And as an investor in the business, I started working very closely with Ronaldo to think about how do we scale this? How do we turn it, you know, take it from a test market in New York City, um, where, the, you know, the, mar- the test market, the tests have gone very well, but obviously it was still a very, very small business. How do we then make it a national business? Because mm. we can speak a little bit more about this if you'd like, Quinley, but there's Absolutely. certainly a great advantage to be um, to direct to consumer businesses have the advantage of being able to go national much quicker than, um, you know, a business that distributes um, offline. So to help him grow the business, I was starting to work closely with him. And within six months, um, I was invited by Ronaldo and, um, and and the board to join the company as CEO and partner with Ronaldo on this journey. And so that was about two years ago. And um, I'm very happy and proud to say that we've grown the business quite a lot. Um, we've got a really strong team in New York City. 
Um, and we've got a tremendous customer base of very loyal um, fans of the product and the, and the service. And um, we love what we do. And, um, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions you have about the experience here or any of the previous ones. Wait, I have a ton of questions here to ask. Um, first of all, super impressive story. Uh, moving from, from marketing um, to the food industry, you know, um, building out um, Tasty Delight and then eventually moving, you know, teaching uh, or actually getting involved, you know, with VCs in the food sector to, 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 to actually, you know, um, growing and scaling, you know, um, similar food-like businesses, you know, consumer, you know, food businesses. Very, very, uh, I find, you know, your background and, um, you know, your career path just super, super interesting to, to your current CEO role. role sorry. Um, so where do I want to start from? I want to start from, pet plates what's your value proposition you 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 initially you know brushed in it which is human grade food for for pets you know um how big is the market i, I hear it's about 70 billion dollars in the united states and um you know what kind of market share do you do, do you want what kind of pet owners pet lovers are you trying to reach Sure. No, it's a, it's a great question. So it is a large market. It's a $70 billion market pet food. And human grade um, is newest entrant into this very large marketplace. Um, I, the premium pet food had been growing. So you had seen entrants like raw pet food. Um, so human food, but served raw, um, dehydrated, also human grade, but dehydrated sort of a powder that you had to reconstitute with water. We've seen freeze dried also human grade, but that, you know, would be, um, shelf stable because they take all the, the moisture out. So the newest entrant into this premium space is the fresh cooked dog food. And, you know, humans just really relate to it. Why? Because it's, it's the way we eat, right? I mean, we rarely eat raw meat or, you know, dehydrated food or freeze dried food. So, it was so relatable that when it sprung on the market a couple of years ago, it just took the pet community by, by storm. And who do we attract? It's definitely your modern pet parent that is treating their pet um, the way they would their own human children. Um, kind of there's a moral equivalency where they just don't want the pet to have anything less than a healthy, happy life, you know, in, in the, in the kind of, context of, of a pet, obviously, but meaning, you know, they should have the same level of comfort when it comes to diet, exercise, shelter. And, and so what sprung up aside from uh, these innovative food products are also other services, as you're well aware, whether it be dog walking, uh, grooming, uh, daycare, um, boarding, um, you know, and some of it is very looks, but, you know, a lot of it just exists because pet parents want to be able to uh, oftentimes, you know, if it's, you know, whether it's a single parent or a married or, or a couple, they're working and they, they're out of the house all day and they want the pet to be comfortable. So they find ways of making, you know, that, that, you know, creating that comfortable environment. Um, so it's really interesting, the dynamic. It's, it's, it's more than just a new product that, you know, has kind of popped up. It's really a whole movement towards bringing pets up in, in just a very healthy and happy way so that they enjoy themselves, but also the family raising them gets the joy and, and satisfaction out of knowing that their loved ones are going to be really comfortable and, and, and add to the household. And so, you know, that's just a background on what, where the market is going in terms of the consumer profile. So it, we find at Pet Plate, we have a, an interesting um, target audience because it's kind of a little bit, it's bifurcated. So we've got 
the the older millennial who is, um, you know, probably treating this pet like their first child, meaning they're they're maybe, you know, not married um, yet, but they, you know, probably intend to one day have their own children. But for now, they're treating the pet like like their own child. So, you know, there's really like, you know, there's no limit really to what they'll do to make sure that that pet is happy. Then the other bucket, which is a little further, you know, out there in terms of life stage is your empty nester who, you know, raise their children, they're now out of the house, and they want to replace that that feeling that they got from having those children in the home with a pet that they can fawn uh, over and, and treat, you know, the way they did their own children. So it, we do have this interesting, um, like I said, dichotomy between, you know, a younger audience and an older audience, but what ties them together, what they have in common is, is the, the love for their pet. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. So in terms of the the segments of the market is this is 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 pet plates a premium product or are you looking at mass markets appeal? Well, it would be considered premium based on the amount of money um, a, an owner will have to spend on the food. Um, but make no mistake, premium pet food is is quite large. It's already um, about a nine billion dollar market, mm. and um, it's growing. It's the fastest growing segment within pet. Um, so, you know, premium in pet standards isn't quite the same as like a luxury product in human, by human standards. It just mm-hmm. means that instead of spending an average of, um, well, I can say premium pet food is just, is just defined by um, a spend of about $2.50 per day mm-hmm. or more. And um, pet plate falls as all the fresh cooked um, food falls kind of in that average of about $6 a day. So it's even considered uber premium, you know, relative to that uh, definition of premium, but there are more expensive options um, than fresh cooked. And that would be um, raw pet food is actually more expensive. Um, And what we find is that consumers who get comfortable with the price realize that there is a tremendous amount of savings on the other hand, because they don't have to visit the vet nearly as often. I mean, this product um, like any fresh cooked food is a true problem solution product yeah. where the problem is the pet is getting sick all the time because of the mm. food that they eat and really, really sick, like digestive issues, skin conditions, um, allergies, just really uncomfortable yeah. to live. And then they eat this fresh cooked food and the problems clear up, but like within days to weeks and mm. stay like that for years. And mm. so it's such a compelling solution that you can very quickly justify the increase in price because it's not just a nice to have, it becomes a must have. It's, it's a painkiller product, you know, um, it's, 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 it's also emotional, uh, I would think, you know, um, so before you put any, you know, logic to it, the first thing you want is the best interest of your pet, of your dog. Um, right. And then you, you scan the market and then you find, you know, the product that's, that best suits, you know, that, that, that need. And, and then yeah. when, you know, you're trying to solve digestive problems, you know, it, it then brings that um, logical, you know, yes. need to, to solve the, the problem. Okay. So I see where you're going. So on, on average per month, if I'm going to do the math here. Um, so it, it will cost um, about $180 for, um, for, you know, per month for, for, um, for, for a typical customer to take care of a single dog. Now, um, in terms of customer lifetime value, um, what, what are you, what's the value of a, of a customer um, and how long are they staying um, so far? I know you guys started in April in, in 2017. And um, so it's, it's just, over, it's just coming to, to almost three years. Um, 
but um, you know, what, sorry, two years actually. Two um, years, so yeah, two yeah, years, two years yeah. in January. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, so what? What? What kind of numbers? Um. So, so what? What kind of? You know, what? What? What, what kind of? What, what? What? Your acquisition? What? What's your target customer acquisition? You know, rate, and uh, you know, what? What's your customer lifetime value so far? Sure. Well, we would expect at this stage, which is we're still, you know, obviously quite early, but um, a typical customer today is going to buy about 10 boxes. Um, We do see that going up. Um, The reason is that, you know, as our customer experience improves over time, a customer will likely stay longer. You know, they won't have, there won't be mix-ups that will cause them frustration, et cetera, because we have a bigger team. We can make sure we're, we stay in front of any of those issues. And so at the moment, 10 boxes is, is what we would expect, but it is growing. Um, in fact, every cohort we analyze, we see that they're buying a, just a little bit more of the product. The other um, reason we'll see an extension of that lifetime value is that in the meantime, we've added new flavors, right? So when we only had two you know, there was always a chance that a dog could tire of those two flavors after a year or two, but we added two new flavors last year. We'll add another two new flavors this year. Again, that variety will actually keep the dog very interested in the food. Um, I will say the bar is very low. Unlike humans, dogs actually don't need great variety in their diet. They're actually, it's actually, um, best if they stick with the same format of food their entire life. And so if they're on fresh cooked food, it's really ideal if they just stay with that format of food their whole life. And they don't need a lot of variety, but some variety in the protein is, is beneficial um, because there are, you know, very variation in the, in the vitamins and minerals that are in those proteins. So, um, and, and some of the secondary ingredients. So it's, it's fine for the pet parent to rotate, you know, two to four dishes, maybe even six. And so when we add two new flavors this year, that'll obviously help with lifetime value. The other thing that we are very, very excited about is this year, we're going to be launching some secondary products, um, treats and supplements. And what that will do is it'll make for the pet parent, um, the convenience of one-stop shopping where they can really satisfy all of their dietary needs at pet plate. And that will not only increase the AOV, um, you know, so the average order value of the box with great unit economics, because we're not having to really increase packaging probably at all. And um, because we'll design the box in such a way that it can, it can absorb a, a little bit more product on top and we won't have to increase shipping costs by much as well, because the, you know, these secondary products are a lot lighter than the, yeah. than the entrees. And so having that additional product mixed in, we also think will keep the customer more loyal to pet plate as a brand. And so those are the ways we expect to increase our lifetime value. Um, in terms of customer acquisition cost, obviously we keep that kind of, you know, on the down low. We don't yeah, want to confidential. I can imagine. Yeah. But um, I can tell you that, um, you know, the important thing is, is the LTV to CAC ratio. So CACs, you know, customer acquisition costs, you want to make sure that you have a really healthy, lifetime value to customer acquisition cost ratio. If it's imbalanced, then the business won't really see its way to profitability. And so, you know, a good LTV CAC in a subscription commerce business is is about four to one. Mm. And, um, you know, pet plate is in, in, you know, I'm happy to say we're, we're sort of in a range that, you know, we, we have a really strong business and um, it's doing really well. That's great. That, that's fantastic. So, so in, in other words, if um, my customer was to spend a thousand dollars 
um, a month, you know, a year with my business or, and I'm the only to last for, for, for 12 months. Um, I, I'll be happy to acquire them for $250 at that 41 ratio. Well, yes, the, the the nuance there is that would be a gross lifetime value. Most companies today are looking at lifetime value on a net basis. So mm-hmm. they're, they're removing the cost of goods and the discounts to come up with um, a net margin. Interesting. And then they're looking at the customer acquisition cost. So really, if we're using, you know, kind of theoretical numbers, if the gross lifetime value is five is a thousand dollars, but your um, you know, your 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 gross uh, your net number is let's just call it five hundred, then um if you had a hundred and twenty-five dollar acquisition cost, that would be good that would be considered good. Um, and of course on a on a on a product like pet plate where the average order value is well over a hundred dollars, um, you know, you're, you're going to expect a higher ca- customer acquisition cost. Logic mm-hmm. would tell you that you have to probably spend more to get a customer to make, um, a, a purchase as large as, 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 you know, uh, one that's over a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, there are pro- probably, you know, there are plenty of subscription commerce businesses where the box is like less than 20 or $25. And then the economics, you know, um, look differently, but with the larger, um, AOV, you're going to have a, a slightly larger CAC, but you still have to keep that CAC in check. And, you know, there's a range, you know, some, you can start off with a CAC of two to one and you hope, hope to get it to, you know, six to one or seven to one. But if you're in that really three to four range in the beginning of your business, then you're on the right path. Makes sense. Makes sense. I never really realized that it was based on um, actual margin. Um, you know, the LTV calculation, you know, um, you learn everything, you learn something new every day. Um, yeah. So front end wise, where, where are you, you know, acquiring customers? What, what channels are you, you know, looking to, 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 to get customers with, um, with a, a pet plate? Yeah. Well, as a digitally native brand, um, of course we rely very heavily on the internet and digital marketing uh, because that's where our customers, we, we want to intercept the customer um, at the point that they can also purchase the product, right? So mm-hmm. you want to catch them online because they're going to be buying the product online. Um, you know, as you scale and you've seen this, I'm sure with other digitally native brands that have, you know, grown and, and have scaled to a very large um level they they then start to advertise offline to increase brand awareness and and you know increase you know build some credibility and and brand equity but in the beginning um it very much lives online and so your primary channels are of course your social media channels where people spend most of their day um on you know their 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 free time so facebook instagram obviously being the biggest one um you know there's um an interesting dynamic happening where Instagram um, is really kind of outperforming Facebook for a lot it of is. millennial brands. Indeed, it ours. is. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've grown up, you know, with Facebook, if you're a little older and like Facebook was the thing, mm-hmm. you might not recognize just how much time people are spending on Instagram and how powerful a tool it is because it's a much, they use storytelling Mm -hmm. um, more than Facebook does. So we actually are seeing in our company, we need to spend a lot more dollars on Instagram than we do on Facebook. That's definitely the the lion's share on on digital spend. The second bucket would be paid search. So Mm -hmm. Google AdWords, Bing, um, or the two main platforms there, um, just because when people are searching your product, you obviously want to make sure that your branding comes up 
sure if they type in pet plate, you want to like secure your own keyword, right? So make sure pet plate comes up first. Um, But if they're searching for anything related to your business, healthy dog food, fresh cooked food for your dog, et cetera, you have to invest enough so that you're at least listed on, you know, for sure the first page, but you know, you want to be in the top three. And, um, and that, that becomes um, an interesting interplay as well between search and social, because, you know, we want to make sure that we're messaging in a similar way um, on those two main main platforms. So we have, you know, the consultants that are handling that in in constant communication and then, you know, kind of moving outside of, um, of the paid um, marketing, there's so much that one can do using your own channel. So whether it be your own social media platforms where you're, you know, pushing out content, sort of longer form content, and then you have on your site, um, your blog, which is, you know, it's interesting because blogs have sort of, I think they've, they've become, you know, phased in, phased out right now. I think blogs are very important because Mm -hmm. of the dynamic social media. Um, and all of that helps to increase your SEO, your search engine optimization, because the more keywords out there, the better. Um, and then the last thing, which I think is probably the least understood or the least um, valued um, channel in digital marketing and and for digitally native brands. And that's email marketing. Mm. Um, Email marketing is so powerful and has driven so many of our conversions. And it's interesting because, you know, you have to really look at email marketing in two ways. One is promotional where you can just with a very clever email marketing strategy with the right content, the right visuals, the right, you know, offers, you can close, you can just email people and you'd be surprised how many people will read, you know, email that is just of a promotional nature and click through and buy from you. So that's incredible because you've only, the only investment there is the time and energy you spend on, you know, putting the email together. But then there's also, um, using email to close the sale. So that's a very important part of digital marketing where if you're spending all that money on paid social and search to get people interested in your business and they get to your website, they're not always going to buy that same minute or that same hour or that same day even. They're likely going to get to your site because of an ad they see on Instagram or Facebook and explore your site, but then come back to it later. But what will make them come back is those emails that they get after they, quote, abandon your cart. So we have what we call a drip campaign that runs for weeks after the customer has abandoned the cart. You know, all of it is done using technology um, and you are able to capture information and, and hopefully you get an email address. Um, as well that allow you to retarget. You know, if you don't get it, if you just, if the person leaves without giving the email, you're probably going to be able to retarget them using an IP address on the other um, channels off your site. But if they do leave an email address, which we have ways of capturing that early, um, because it's also helpful for the for the consumer to not have to go back and re-enter everything. So if they leave yeah. their email, a lot of information is stored. But with that email address, we can then target them over you know several weeks, and not in a very aggressive way. It's not just you know simply like promoting the product from a commercial sense. It's really also about educating them over time as to why this would be a good decision. And of course, giving them every opportunity to reach out to our customer care team through, um, you know, we have an 800 number, we have live chat, we have email. And so those are the ways that people can also communicate with our customer care team in a very personal way to learn more about, you know, how this would work for their, for their pet. 
Uh, amazing, amazing. And um, it's interesting how all the channels, you know, kind of eventually work in sync. And it appears that um, email seems to be your last mile um, channel, right. um, you know, um, for, for, for looping back or reminding, you know, um, you know, subscribers or potential customers that, you know, um, you exist and to actually, you know, um, you know, purchase and commit. And, and yeah. can, can I don't want to leave out one other very important segment, which I just, it fits in the puzzle. It's just, it didn't go necessarily in that um, chronological order, but it's the um, influencer and affiliate marketing. Yeah. Um, it really is important. It's basically where you're using third parties to promote your product and sell it. So in the influencer marketing, you're lo- looking at people more as endorsers. So they're you know, brand ambassadors that have already a following, they have a profile online, you know, depending on the size of their following, you know, they can turn, you know, hundreds or thousands of people onto your product because they've used it on their own pet and they can speak to it and, you know, photograph it. But that's more of a marketing play. And then on the affiliate side, it's sort of the same, it's the same mechanism, except for the affiliates are really there to really kind of sell the product like a little more directly. So they might have a, 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 a website that has a lot of content just about pet health or pet accessories. And so then when they mention the product, it's those people are already in the mindset of, you know, wanting to buy something for their pets. So the affiliate uh-huh. is, is less content oriented. It's a little more sales oriented, but both channels are extremely important. It's, you need to be, I think, a little mature to be able to kind of leverage those two things because it just requires a little bit more bandwidth resource on the part of the team. But again, it, it does really work in, um, you know, it, it, you want to synchronize all the different things because you have a better chance at marketing efficiently on like Facebook and Instagram, Instagram, if people are seeing and hearing the product in other forums, um, you know, like that are not sponsored by your company, but are being talked about by a third party. As a third party, there's more credibility there because um, yeah. they're giving their first-hand experience. Exactly. Okay. I also noticed, I couldn't help but notice in Ronaldo's profile that um, two years ago, um, he was featured on Shark, Shark Tank. And, um, you know, I think on the 20th of tuning this Sunday. So you were featured on, on Shark Tank um, last month. Correct. It was an update. Yeah. What was, was the impact? Because kind of, I, I can see from 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 um, from similar web, which is like a third party app, that you know your your traffic in January just doubled. It just it blew up. You know, based on you know. No, it was amazing. I mean, it of course I think Shark Tank is still really relevant, um, and I think it's it's interesting because digitally native brands have gotten more of a voice on Shark Tank than they did a few years ago, mm-hmm. and um, there you know it's it's been. I think a great experience for so many companies and the pitch is, is where you obviously, you know, that's how you think about uh, shark tank is you get on the show and you pitch the sharks and that's what Ronaldo did early, early, like it was um, aired in December of 16. So um, he technically at that time when it aired was still only selling the product in New York city, but it was all queued up so that he would launch the business nationally in January you know, that's when Broad Prime Project was already involved. And so anyone who signed up after watching Shark Tank in December of 16 was able to get the product by January 3rd is when they first we first started shipping. Um, but fast forward two years later, um, what was remarkable about Shark Tank inviting Ronaldo back for an update is that he did not actually get a deal from any of the sharks. Um, mm-hmm. He got 
in the end, a deal from Brand Project um, initially. And, you know, we've had other great investors that followed. But um, unusual for Shark Tank to invite a company back for an update that did not get a deal because there's no angle of, oh, this shark has done so well because he invested in or she invested in this company. The, 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 the plot or the storyline in this update was, although Pepe didn't get a deal, look how well they've done over the last couple of years. And in part because of the feedback that they got from the sharks. So basically, Ronaldo's um, story, and it's quite true, is he listened to the sharks very carefully, understood what concerned them about the business, and it, it was really all about scalability. Mm-hmm. And what he found in Brand Project as a partner was someone who, a, you know, a group of people who could help him figure out, well, how do you take a business from being a, a you know, a local or regional business to becoming a national business without a tremendous amount of um, capital investment um, or even, you know, human capital investment. Um, there's ways of doing it, which, you know, I'm happy to talk to you about on this this episode or another one about how do you effectively take your, um, change your supply chain from a, na- a local one to a national one. Um, and direct-to-consumer businesses, there's some really interesting opportunities there, like I said, that don't really exist in the offline world. And um, once he, you know, what they were able to report on in January of this year was that with a scaled-up supply chain and a national business, the the business has done millions and millions of dollars in revenue in a you know relatively short period of time. And they were very proud of that success, even if it wasn't directly linked to an investment by one of the sharks. So what kind of revenues did you do last year? Well, we don't generally speak the, about the numbers, but I will say that we tripled the size of the business from year one to year two. And we were already a you know, in the millions, and when we when we launched in seventeen, and um, and then in eighteen, we had tripled the size of the business. Wow! And this year, we expect to at least triple the size of the business again, off of a much bigger base. Okay, I'm being cheeky here. Are you a, a ten million plus business now? Um, again, we don't like to disclose revenues because <laughs> it's just early for us. Um, you know, and and actually, it's funny when you ask that question. It, I don't know how many of your listeners. Uh, are interested in this aspect of, of um, the business, but you know, there's the revenues and then there's the um, the annual run rate. And what co- companies like to do, which is you know fair, is to project kind of on an annual basis what the mm-hmm. revenues would be if you know they were to do this the revenue that they're doing this month, twelve months from now. Ahead, and yeah. you know, you talk sure. about a run rate and. And so there's always like a different answer depending if you're giving like the last 12 months or if you're talking about the really the next 12 months from a run rate perspective. Makes sense. But yeah, we're we're a multi-million dollar business. That's okay. that's for sure. Okay. Right. Now the other question I wanted to ask was um I just want to look back, take steps back to um to brand project. Um so if I was to come to you with a food project I was working on. Um, in my kitchen and, you know, I'd, you know, pretty much um, been able to sell, you know, a few packs around my local neighborhood. What would you want to see in it to say, okay, this business is scalable? Right. It's an excellent question. Um, Because if you, if you're thinking, if you're asking the right questions early, you're probably gonna, you know, be able to come up with the right answers for an investor. And it's really knowing the questions that you should be asking yourself and what, what we um, saw in Pep Plate and what Ronaldo was very, um, he was acutely aware of at the time, which was, you know, showed us why he was such a strong founder, is that the retention 
was very, very high. Mm-hmm. And for, for a brand project, that meant everything. Um, it really didn't matter how many customers he had acquired, you know, in, in New York City in the first six months. Like there's a obvious, you know, working effectively by himself, you know, with the help of like maybe, you know, one friend. It, we really, we knew there would be, you know, no way he, you know, a person would be able to, you know, acquire like, you know, so many customers at, in the first few months. But what we were looking at was how many stuck. Like, so say you acquired, I mean, just making up a number, a hundred customers. What we were interested in is after three months, after six months, how many of those customers stuck with you? Because if a lot of them stuck, and in the case of Pet Plate, an extraordinarily high percentage of those customers were still buying his homemade product after six months, then we knew there was a business there because it meant that there was more of a need for this product than just a want. Um, Because customers don't just keep buying something every week over and over again, unless it's really you know, fulfilling a need. And, um, and pet plate till this day has, um, very high retention rates relative to human food subscription businesses. And that's what's attracted so many investors to the pet um, space, to be Mm -hmm. honest, is that, um, the big distinction between human and pet is that humans do crave variety. And so even some of the most outstanding human food subscription businesses, they will see retention, um, slide after say six months because the consumer just plainly gets tired of having the same type of food over and over again. Um, And dogs would just, it's just the opposite. If they like something, they they like it forever. So that works very much to our advantage, but that doesn't mean it comes easy. You still have to do because the pet parent is the one actually buying the food. So you still have to do everything right to make that parent want to buy the product over and over again. But retention rates really are the, um, kind of the key to success in the subscription business. It's it's that repeat business that actually helps the business grow exponentially. Okay. So so in e-commerce businesses, non-subscription e-commerce businesses, a healthy number I'm seeing is um, 25 to 30% retention rate. Um, and that tends to really keep the business going and allow them, you know, acquire customers at a healthy rate. Um, so in a subscription business that requires, you know, weekly or monthly payments, um, you know, what kind of um, retention rates should we look at and what kind of churn should we, you know, sort of cap? Yeah. So... So the 25% you just cited in a non-subscription e-commerce business would mean like a person um, of all the people who buy the first time, they'd expect 25% to buy a second time? A second time within 12 months. Within 12 months. Okay. So here's the big difference. And this is really like, you know, the the aha moment. Um, In a healthy subscription business like ours, Mm -hmm. you'd want out of the first take a cohort you would expect 75% of those customers to buy a second box within within the month. So okay. probably within a couple of weeks, you see. So yeah. over the course of a year, what you would anticipate in a healthy subscription business at the end of 12 months, that 25% of those customers are still purchasing that box on a pretty frequent basis. It could be anywhere from one to four weeks, um, depending on the size of the dog. Um, at the end of 12 months, 25% are still buying that product mm. every X number of weeks. So for our business, it varies between one and four weeks. Okay. So, so, so in other words, about 50% churn over a period of 12 months, and then you yes. retain the 25% and then you rinse and repeat. Correct. Okay. And then you split out that 50%, you know, over um, 12 months. Yeah, and we, I mean, we, we look at, 
Yeah, I mean, our lifetime value, like we have certainly, we 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 now exactly two years um, that we're shipping the product. We absolutely have customers still buying our products. So, you know, in a, in a young business like ours, it's, you know, there's a little bit of guesswork because you have to extrapolate out, but we certainly could see our customers being on this product for three plus years. I mean, they may be on it much longer. We just don't have the historical data yet to prove that out, but we, we absolutely still have customers from, you know, day one. Um, in fact, when we were on Shark Tank um, in, in mid-January, it was really heartwarming to see the number of customers who wrote to us saying, I learned about you two years ago when you were first on Shark Tank. I'm thrilled that they had you back. And I'm thrilled that you've grown the business to the point where we can rely on you for, you know, forever, really. Um, and that's the beauty of a subscription business. I think there's a lot of businesses that sell online um, and don't, think hard enough about the subscription aspect because there is a lot of convenience to the to the end user if it is a subscription and you know every subscription looks you know they they don't all have to look the same in fact pet plate like i said our frequency is completely different from you know any of the human food subscriptions out there that are selling on a weekly basis we actually like i said our shipping frequency is dictated purely by the size of the dog so there's other applications so but you know that that subscription service can be helpful to both the, the consumer and the business if it's, Amazing. If it's executed correctly. Super interesting because, you know, so long as your dog is happy, you know, why would you stop? You know, exactly. Why, and why would you want to, you don't ever want to like expect- not have the food in the house. So you don't want to have to always remind yourself to buy it. So that's exactly. why it works out well, really well for both parties. Exactly. And once your packs are there, they're there, you know, you just yeah. um, turn out. Okay. The, the other, you know, um, the 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 other question I had is it, no. The other point I wanted to make it's it's very much like a SaaS business, you know, yes. it's pretty much. But you know, in whereas in SaaS you you're optimizing technology, your product is, you know, the tech, you know, the the offer, right. the service you're you're offering, and in your case, it's it's food, it's 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 a food. So do you? Do you re-engineer, you know, your offering, you know, on a regular basis? How do you put that continuous improvement in place? Yeah. So, so Ronaldo um, is our um, founder and chief product officer. So, one of the things that he spends a lot, you know, a lot of his time on is um, looking at how do we improve the product because there's always room for improvement. Um, and so he, we're actually doing some reformulation now that'll launch in April. You know, it it it's just going to make the product better. Um, we know from testing because we do um, focus groups with dogs. Um, we use a third party to test the product, and um, on 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 dogs and um and we really can see a huge difference in the um, improvements that we've made in terms of appetite um and palatability so you know it, it is interesting that there's lots of room for improvement um that's just on the food there's tons of room for improvement on the packaging packaging is a really big deal it's our key probably our biggest differentiator in in the human food um human grade um dog food space is that we have we're the only company that sells the product in resealable tubs that are also microwavable and it's extremely easy to portion and store and serve. Um, and we're really proud of that, but there's ways to make it better, better for the environment, better for the consumer, better for the business in terms of margins. And then that that's the cup itself. Then we have the outer packaging. And I had a meeting this morning with my um, head of operations and he was just 
updating me and all the amazing changes he's making to the outer packaging mm. to make it again, it's always, it's gotta be a win, win, win. So we always look at, first of all, the customer experience, are they going to get a better experience? Then we think about the environment. Um, so is this better for the environment? And we think about the company, is this better for our margins? So those are always the three things that. we think about with the, with the packaging. So that's, there's room for improvement there. And then the last point I would make again, just circling back to what we talked about earlier, um, you know, with SaaS, you have, you know, of course the technology, um, updates that you do to make the product work better, but then you have the add-ons, right? And we also have add-ons that we talked about earlier that will make it a better experience because you'll be able to serve your dog, you know, all the food that they need and the supplements they need throughout the day, you know, from one, one, uh, source. And that's, that's our goal. Yeah, fascinating and amazing. Um, final question um, before I let you go is, um, okay. you know, a lot of, um, you know, um, physical, well, e-commerce, digital native e-commerce brands eventually go um, brick and mortar. Um, yeah. And um, sometimes a transition in, you know, varied steps. Um, first, they start out with distribution in major you know, retail outlets, um, and then eventually they they have physical stores. Or sometimes they just skip that and go physical stores straight right. in high footfall areas. Um, do you have anything like um, like that planned in the in the pipeline, um, just to 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 get that awareness, you know, out there? Absolutely, we do. We do, and and this is interesting about the pet food space um, as well. Kunli um, is that we talked about this really large space, and um, and you know. While e-commerce is absolutely the fastest growing um, channel um, within the, the, the distribution of pet food, um, it is by far the smallest um, and, and by a lot. So when you look at, um, you know, like 95% of pet food today is still bought offline, not online. So there's an, an enormous opportunity um, specifically for the fresh cooked uh, category to distribute their products offline because that really does not exist inside of any of these pet stores and these pet stores are still very crowded. Um, we do think there's a great convenience to um, having the product shipped directly to your door. Um, it's heavy, it's bulky, it's just, it, you know, it's really convenient to have a chip. But at the outset, when you're shopping for your daily pet needs, you're going to be in a store. And if you can see our product on the shelf and learn about it that way and be able to sample it by buying a smaller amount at a time, we think that's a win-win. And we have talked to independent retailers in particular who tend to curate um, their products to the modern you know, pet parent, the millennial pet parent. And they love the idea of being able to introduce this to their customers at the store level. And then what we can always do long-term is think about creating affiliate relationships offline with the retailers so that they get credit for every customer that they eventually drive to our site, um, you know, that then want a subscription, you know, on an ongoing basis from pet plate. So there, there's a lot of synergy there. I yeah. will tell your audience, cause I haven't announced this yet, but um, I'm, I'm really happy to say that we're going to be sold for the first time off of our site um, later this month on jet.com. Um, they've oh, launched so a really sorry. innovative service. Yeah. They, they have, um, as big as it is, they've never sold perishable products um, on jet.com until very recently. They launched something called City Grocery. Mm-hmm. It's a test they're doing in the tri-state area, but so far the test has gone well and they ex- expect to expand to New England soon. And that's an opportunity for their customers to buy both perishable and non-perishable goods from jacket.com. And it's, it is highly curated and they've looked for very innovative products in that perishable space. And um, yeah. Pet Plate was invited 
to participate. And so we'll be launching our product on their site later this month. And that'll be an opportunity for customers, as they said, to buy by the cup instead of a whole box on a subscription basis. So that'll be our gateway into retail off of our site, but it'll still be online. And eventually I think your your audience will see us offline, um, but that'll be a little further down the road. Amazing, amazing. And you have the first mover advantage in Gentlecom, you know, given the fact that you're first of a kind in, in that category. So best of luck there. Um, so just out of curiosity, um, so um, when you start to stock um, pet plates in, in, in stores and, you know, um, would it need refrigeration since it's freshly cooked food? It will. And he, here's the, the beauty of this. And this is why timing is everything. And, you, you know, being first to market is so, so important. But being too early is, is not always a good thing. And for us, what's really lucky is that, we are following in the footsteps of the, the raw category that okay. did very well, um, especially several years ago when that was like a very, very new alternative to dry food. Um, the retailers, especially the independent chains, got behind the raw movement and they installed freezers in their stores. Um, okay. And it's very common now to see freezers and our product will sit right next to that product. And it'll be an alternative really for families, especially with children that are afraid of having raw food in yeah. their home on the floor where kid, kids can touch it. So that's, that's a beautiful thing for us that we don't have, we don't think a very large investment um, in, in the equipment. We probably will get slotted in right next to the. Yeah. Um, and and that's, the that's the exact segment you're after anyway. So, you know, people Correct. who are likely to get to the refrigerated section and the pet stores. Yeah will, you know, um, be, be keen to, to um, would be very similar, yeah. you know, would have that affinity. Okay, Churchill, before I let you go, um, I normally, you know, ask um, my, quite my, well, I have a, a, a final segment of the show called the lightning round. Basically, I'll ask you about five questions and if you could use a single sentence to answer them, that'd be great. Sure. Ready when you are? Okay. Right. How do you hire people? Through referrals. Awesome. Okay. What are your three indispensable tools for managing pet plates? Uh, Zendesk, <laughs> so yep. the customer care platform, yep. um, the um, Excel, obviously, to do all of our modeling, yep. and um, uh, Asana uh, yep. to do all of our project management. Okay, we'll link to all of them. Um, what's been your best mistake to date? By that, I mean a setback that's giving you the biggest feedback. Oh, choosing the wrong uh, co-manufacturer when we went national. Uh, Completely okay. wrong move, and it took us four months um, to reboot um we had to find the correct manufacturer which we did and we're, we're still with them fantastic okay um what piece of advice would you give retailers keen on getting into subscription e-commerce the best advice to just launch a business in subscription yeah um supply chain you really need to lock up your supply chain you need the biggest piece of that would be your fulfillment centers so the the, the guys are gonna the, the people who are gonna do the pick and pack um, if you don't have that, you won't be able to ship the product um, in an efficient way. You know, the last mile will be too expensive. So you need the the, the su supply chain is the key. Fantastic. Okay. If you could choose a single book or resource that's made the highest impact on how you view building a business and growth, which would it be? The tipping point. Tipping point. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Um, for guests that want to sort of, you know, connect with you, what's the best way in your social um, that you can reach out to you? Uh, email me at Gertrude at petplate.com. I'll link that in, in the show notes. Thank Great. you so much. It's It's been, you know, a very in-depth conversation. Thank you for taking us through, you know, um, the inner workings of, um, you know, petplate. Mm -hmm. 
and um, also taking us through your prolific, um, you know, um, you know, career. Um, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing guest. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed myself. It was a great conversation. I hope your audience um, is able to get something out of it. And I'm, I'm available for follow-up questions and uh, would love to be helpful in any way I can. Fantastic. Thank you, Gertrude. Bye. Pleasure. So that was a wrap on this week's episode of 2X E-Commerce. Remember, you can catch me every week and also send your questions and comments on Twitter using the hashtag 2XEcommerce. Keep yourself in the loop by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. It only takes a few seconds and it means you'll get the most up-to-date episodes to help you grow your online store. Do have a good one till I catch you on the next show. Bye-bye.